0: First comes love, then comes marriage. Then comes what? Hey, welcome to Then Comes What, a monthly show where we open up everything you wanted to know, and some things you didn't, about love, sex, marriage, children, manhood, womanhood, and more. I, of course, Nathan Amberson, your humble and obedient host. That's Jacob Menzel right there. How you doing, Jake? Good. How are you, Nathan? I'm doing fantastic. And Pastor Tim is right over there. We are going to ask him a question right now. All right, today's question. I'll just drop it on you again. We aren't friends. What should we do, husband and wife?
1: Who cares? (laughs) Who cares? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Who cares whether you're friends? You're going to have to open that up for me. Well... One of the most helpful things I ever heard about marriage was from Dr. Dobson, where one day, and, you know, I didn't listen listen to him, but one day, whether it was in a book or on the program, he said that women have emotional needs, that if they look to their husband to satisfy, they'll never be satisfied, and the husband will be depressed because he can't meet them. And he, he pointed out how in the past centuries, it was natural to be a part of an extended community, often an extended family, too. You know, you'd have parents living in a house with children. You'd have brothers and sisters-in-law. And, and you know, in other words, it was a clan. And so women were able to be intimate with other women about sex, food, cooking, uh, about children. And so much of what mothers and wives need is reassurance. And a lot of what they need is reassurance that they're doing a good job as a wife and a mother, despite their sins, despite their husband's complaints, that what they're going through is normal, okay? But what we've done is we've replaced that with Hollywood movies, right? Where the the catharsis is that finally he stands up at the wedding when she's about to marry the wrong man and he says, no, I love you! <laughs> and from then on, life... Is bliss, you know, <laughs> and of course it's completely bogus because if if the dude wasn't able to handle courting or dating or 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 getting her to marry him, and he has to stand up in the wedding ceremony and make a scene that nobody will ever forget the rest of their lives, <laughs> uh, probably some of those same character traits are going to come out in the marriage, and they won't be cute then, and you can't make a movie out of them because the cat. The consequences will be catastrophic. (laughs) (laughs) And so, what we need to do is lower everybody's expectations about romance. Hmm.
2: Expectations is, I think, the key word in this whole question.
0: All right, let me throw out the obvious devil's advocate argument that occurs to me. All right, we got a bunch of men doing a podcast together. Isn't it easy for us to say, well, really, you women need to. I mean, I know that's not explicitly what we're saying, Tamped but isn't, isn't the, yeah. isn't the it subtext of our true, text, yeah. really, yeah. you women just need to not expect did, so much did, of us. And dudes, let us have,
2: dudes bring their own bad expectations to, to marriage for what, what their uh,
1: wife will give to yeah, them. Yeah, especially right? if they've looked at pornography. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And they've had all the moles airbrushed out, and there are no sag marks, and there are no, no sagging marks, yep. breasts, and all of a sudden, their wife has a baby, and she's used, okay? Mm-hmm. And so- we all have bought the marketing. I mean, you look at the marketing of of the of the most embarrassing things you know where they market them and and the ways that they market create such false expectations, and nothing is more mark- marketable and today, both homosexual and heterosexual love and the reality is much different. Everybody says that the best Jewish marriage was. Isaac and Rebecca. And from the beginning, she gets off the camel, she veils herself. Well, brides still continue to veil their glory, which is the glory of man. And it's amazing how all through history, the veil is, I would argue, maybe the central motif of weddings across cultures in the Western world. Anyhow, after you get married, you realize that actually you didn't marry a, uh, you didn't marry a shining knight. And he did not kill the dragon to get you. Mm. And there is no castle and not even a moat, not even a drawbridge. That life is very, very humble and petty and you are a selfish pig and she is a shrew. And you go in that expecting that you're going to be best friends and then you start bickering and you realize that friendship is affectional. And you realize that you don't have much to present to her for her affection because you are a selfish pig. And so, what we need to do is realize that there's a reason that weddings happen the way they do. So, where does that come from when you're asking me about friendship and marriage? Well, weddings are all about intensifying investment, okay? Lots of money spent, lots of scheduling, lots of planning, uh, lots of people coming, lots of family buying in. The honeymoon. Absolutely everything is set up in such a way as to make it mortifying for that couple to ever break their vows, and there's a reason for that, and that is that when they get married, they actually won't be best friends. Everybody lies about it on Facebook, you know, and everybody lies about it if they write an annual Christmas communication, you know, to their friends, you know, I married my best friend and I'm happy to say that 45 years later, he's still a pig, a selfish pig. But they don't say that. He's he's still my best friend and I just admire him and we're just so happy. And, And then you know them and you know actually their son just got busted for a sexual crime. But somehow that just doesn't show up in the annual letter. And that's the reality of our families and our marriages is that there's lots of sin. So if we have this expectation of, and I wouldn't say friendship, I would say best friendship, Okay, because that's really what Mm -hmm. the expectation is. And we concentrate on trying to create that. That's the one sure way of keeping it from ever happening. However, if we refuse to contemplate leaving, separation, divorce, if we are romantic, really romantic, now Chesterton says that the two most romantic acts that a man can commit, are mailing a letter and getting married because neither of them can be taken back. Hmm. Well, okay, now that's a romance that I can buy into. You just go absolutely bonkers on your commitment to this woman. Eight bad, I think, is the way you want it. Yeah, I was thinking of using (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah, You go bonkers in your commitment to them. You don't even allow yourself for a moment to consider it. Now that's friendship, Mm. that's marriage, that's commitment. And then what comes out of it as the years go by is unbelievable friendship. But friendship like happiness are things that if pursued directly, you'll never get them.
0: Mm. Well, let me ask this. Um, When I first began dating the incandescent Meredith, the godliest people in my life all asked the same question. I've never really given this much thought, so I'm going to try and articulate this on air. Maybe figure out what was behind it. I'm not actually sure. I never, I never, just haven't had time to really think about it. But all the most godly people in my life, they'd, they'd get this sly look on their face and they'd say, so "What do you, What do you find interesting about her? Or, or what's what's attractive about her?" And I realized it was a test. And I realized there were good answers and there were bad answers. And obviously, the bad answers would be her legs. Or, well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I'd it's a bad not answer. If
1: you talk to my wife, who has much more experience and most in counseling couples before marriage, Mm -hmm. she would want to know whether or not the man likes her legs.
0: Well, that would be one of my answers, but that wasn't generally what people were looking Looking for. for, Um, And and they didn't really want a passionate commitment. They didn't want a spiritual thing even. What they Mm -hmm. wanted was for me to say I like something prosaic. So they wanted some commonality. They wanted something that I was interested in mm-hmm. about her mind. They wanted us to share some stuff. They actually wanted there to be something of a basis for a friendship, I guess. You could, you could mm-hmm. at least frame it that way. They were looking to see that there were some things that we just liked about each other. That was That was kind of the right answer, much more so than the really super spiritual answers. They just wanted some commonalities. And these were generally godly, wise people, I think. What were they looking for there? What, what did they want me to have if, if friendship is, in fact, not something to be pursued and these commonalities
1: are? No, I'm not saying that we shouldn't desire friendship and we shouldn't pursue it. I'm just saying that that natural desire should be pursued indirectly through commitment and through fighting and through that a lot of the things that produce friendship are the very opposite of what we think would produce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at a wedding recently where the pastor is a godly man that I've loved my whole life, not my whole, but almost. In the wedding, he listed the third purpose of marriage as being companionship and friendship. It's Mm -hmm. not good for the man to be alone. I think actually that should always be listed as the first Mm -hmm. because God said it's not good for the man to be alone. God did not say when he created Eve, it's not good for the man to not be able to have children although that's implicit in the commands over and over again to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth are there. But look, I'm not trying to denigrate or deny that the first purpose of marriage is friendship, okay? And I know I sound like I'm contradicting myself, but what I'm worried about is that a lot of people are married who really don't have much capacity for friendship, but they do have the capacity to show up. Mm -hmm. And that's an underrated capacity today to get up in the morning and to fix the coffee Do to your put your laundry in the basket to, to pick the socks up off the floor to earn an income so that your wife can be a mother instead of some stupid idiotic to corporation's discipline the children. public relations information officer or, mm. or worse a doctor where you know her best work goes outside of the home and don't people dare condemn me for saying that i could explain perfectly why i said what i just said we have to keep our focus on trying to free women up to be housewives not that they can't work out of the home but that they need to be domestic they, their focus needs to be the home because it it's a command in Titus 2 said, don't don't kiss me off because i said that i'm not stupid mm-hmm. and i do honor scripture and you may not if you think i'm wrong on that but anyhow that i won't I'll shut up about that <laughs> but another i just episode well i had just had a pastor yesterday or a day before telling me how he got brutalized because he called the sophisticated women in his church to have their first priority be their home not that they shouldn't work but that it should be work that allows their first priority to be there i said i was going to stop so i was <laughs> and i don't even remember what i was talking about uh friendship companionship well, yeah yeah friendship is important go ahead jake you remember in the
2: last episode where when Tim was talking about you were asking a question about, you know, we have these big arguments and fights and we have to see things through to the end at 3 a.m. in the morning. And Tim said, you know, he brought up the marshmallow test and he said, you know, sometimes you just need a good distraction Mm -hmm. because you trust that you're going to be able to work through things, but you just need to be able to step away. I think a lot of what might be behind that question from the people who are asking it is just do you have... That you know, a couple of good good distractions. That so it's not all just like either hot and heavy. We want to get in bed together, mm-hmm. or we want we're going to have these deep, emotionally intimate conversations about our broken past. Mm. Like, but do you have like do you do fun? Like, mm-hmm. is there fun? Is there are there things that you can just enjoy each other's company that you have in common? Like, I that's make
0: that not a th- rule very early in our dating relationship with the incandescent Meredith because we're both highly verbal processing machines and we're both very uh i don't know what you want to say we we go deep and we were three or four dates in and it was just like i think you actually said nathan you need to have fun like this isn't gonna Mm. work you're gonna burn yourself out you're gonna the the gasket's gonna three or four
2: dates in and they were all like let's sit down and bear our souls together over coffee for four hours or something like that right
0: yeah and it was one it wasn't really exactly a fight because it was too early for it to be a fight it would probably be a fight now that we're comfortable having fights but It was one of our first tensions where I was just like, we have to have fun. It's mandatory fun. It's become a joke (laughs) now. We have a thing called mandatory fun. And it's like, Meredith, we're going to have mandatory fun now. Or she'll say, oh, that was mandatory fun, wasn't it? But um, (laughs) it was just like, we have been ordered by Jake to have fun. I think I actually uh, uh, used you. Invoked me. Invoked you. (laughs) (laughs) Jake or Jake and Amanda or somebody uh, uh, says, we must have fun. Because it's not going to work if it's just all like bearing our souls to, to each other. Well, and also I realized very quickly bearing our souls was going to lead to wanting to bear other things. Exactly. Very yeah. quickly.
1: You know, okay. So having fun is not friendship. Mm-hmm. Right. It, Which is a
2: different question. It's, it's sort of, we've gotten off topic.
1: Well, no. No. Because I think people do think having fun is friendship. Mm -hmm. And it is friendship, okay? Having fun together can only be done if somebody's a friend. Mm -hmm. You don't have fun together with people you can't stand. Absolutely. You don't have fun together with people that there's not some level of intimacy with, okay? But there is an aspect of friendship we have to keep our eye on that we don't lose it. And that is, it is essential in marriage that you are for her and she is for you. Mm -hmm. And that maybe is a sine qua non, the absolute irreducible minimum that friendship requires. And I want us to talk about that for a second because there are always conflicts and particularly with extended families over issues that we will be very sensitive to because we have spent much of our life having no support. And nobody trusting us and nobody listening to us about things that are the interface of terrible pain that we've suffered in our life. And we must have a husband or a wife who will protect us at those points, okay? And that is, and you know, we talked about this before, you know, grieving that we have somebody who will stand with us in our grief and be empathetic and sympathetic, right? But it's also when we have to stand for truths that everybody in our church and at school and at work and on our extended family hates. They hate that truth. And yet God has called us to be firm on that truth. And so we just constantly suffer and suffer and suffer by being a witness to the words of Jesus. And it's often that clear, okay? And I would use as an illustration Some of my most painful moments have come over the issue of removing the word father and its cognates and removing brother and removing man from the text of scripture. Mm -hmm. And it's been a very painful battle because almost nobody is concerned about it today, even though some people have said they're concerned about it. And so this is something that has caused me personally to have great pain. And I can't think of anything that is just more helpful to me than the fact that Mary Lee has not been ashamed of me, but has encouraged me to be faithful in that fight. And she has personal reasons to to want to avoid it, but she doesn't do it. And that kind of friendship is not at all having fun together.
2: Yeah, that's the Um, friendship that's forged in And that
1: friendship then allows you to have fun together because what? you know she's for you and she knows you're Mm -hmm. for for her. Now, I want to confess something. I want to confess it often. I have been fearful in those situations and have become untrusting and accusatory with my wife because of my insecurities and defensiveness and feeling of aloneness. And I am so proud of how my wife has conducted herself even when she's unfairly accused. Mm-hmm. She's just for me and she's not stupid. All right, she understands the issues. You know, a stupid friend isn't actually much help. Right. <laughs> you know, you really do want to talk things through with your wife so she understands the arguments against you, the arguments you would the way you defend yourself. And so if she defends you and stands with you, she understands precisely what she's doing and why. And that's another part of friendship I see so often, husbands and wives. Do not share with each other the areas of their growth, you know, and so guys in the pastors college they don't talk to their wives about doctrine they're they're exploding in their growth of their understanding of God's word, okay, but it's like that's not women, and so then women began to talk about how i I'm a theologian, a woman theologian. it's like, dude, seriously, I mean, you think that's something special? Do you think there's ever been a godly woman who has not been a theologian mm-hmm. i mean uh, how about Katie Luther? <laughs> you know, I mean, you can go all through history. How about Jonathan Edwards' wife, you know? Um, and so, friendship has is multifaceted. There are all, all different kinds of sides of it. But if I may, just let me make one other comment and I'll stop. I think one of the reasons people asked you what you shared with her is because both you and Magnificent Meredith. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Incandescent. uh, incandescent, Okay, incandescent, but magnificent. Magnificent I I like the (laughs) alliteration. Magnificent Meredith. Uh, I think one of the reasons people will ask the two of you is that both of you are extremely verbal and creative Mm -hmm. and dynamic. And so I suspect that one of the reasons people are asking you that is because some of those people do not have creativity and dynamism, and intellectual curiosity as a part of their marriage. And so they're living vicariously. Hmm. And I think it's very important that those people who have an easy time with intellectual curiosity and who like to read, and who are not, get me a brewski while I watch Friends, (laughs) you know what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. Uh, that they do not create or encourage expectations for other people who are very simple. That they're somehow less well-married and suited for each other because, you know, they don't, you know, have these stories about magnificent things they do when they get engaged and stuff like that. So, I think we have to be careful in not expecting people who are intellectually incurious Mm -hmm. to have the same kind of friendship that some of us who grew up in publishers and writers homes have. Mm. And that's an important thing that needs to be said delicately.
0: Yeah, I was trying to think how to ask that question while you were talking about your relationship with Mary Lee, because I was just thinking, you know, there's a lot of godly people that just wouldn't have this level of communication about these issues. Um,
1: who did not fall in love reading Thomas Hardy and right. William Faulkner and Steinbeck, and <laughs> talking about it on the phone every night. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty exotic place that we lived in during our courtship. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, when people are looking for a spouse, because I imagine there's people listening to this who aren't married, what do they look for in terms of companionship? I mean, is it enough to say, I find her attractive and she's uh, godly? Is
1: that, uh, check check those two boxes and marry her? Yep. Yep. Now, I know people are going to have fits at us saying, yep. So- you have had it, Jake.
2: <laughs> well, okay. I think that water tends to find its level in relationships, mm-hmm. more or less. And so when two people are attracted to each other and they're godly, um, on one level, you can trust that if they get married and if they simply remain, as I think Tim said at the top of the show, sim- committed to their vows and to obedience to God, mm-hmm. they're going to grow and be good, become good companions for each other over time. Is it enough that she has a husband that Provides for her, that protects for her, that disciplines the kids. Is it enough that he has a wife that uh, nurtures and cares for the kids and is a help to him? Well, there's all kinds of conflict that God brings us through together in life as we simply try to obey God's commands together and help each other obey God's commands together. That that allow us to grow in intimacy with one another and in companionship. I don't know that it has to be or begin as much more than that. There's a reason why arranged marriages are a thing that that work and that people make work or have made work for centuries. And it's because if you start with a basic commitment to love God, to fulfill your vows, and to obey God, I think as, as Tim was arguing earlier, God blesses that and you grow in intimacy and in companionship and in friendship over time. Tim was talking about you have to be for each other. Well, if you've been through fights, if you've been through conflict, you prove your trust for one another, you prove that you're for each other. What a foundation what, what other foundation for friendship is there than that? Mm-hmm. Or what better foundation I should say.
1: One of my favorite quotes about marriage, and I'm gonna butcher it, it's a paraphrase, but Bonhoeffer says, Love doesn't make marriage, but marriage makes love. Mm. Yeah. And we must recognize that. That's the reason that a range matches. Marriages and matchmakers work and their statistical uh, success. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the disagreement that we have decided to live and love in in this church between Baptists and Presbyterians, those that do and don't believe in baptizing babies. And Baptists say, well, you know, every baptism should be somebody who's a real Christian, it shouldn't just be, you know, a child that has no control. And what I like to warn them about is the fact that I doubt that their statistics about how baptism works with their children at 15 or 14 or 13 is any better than baptizing a baby. Right. Yeah. That we have about the same failure rate, and, and that doesn't remove their position, I'm not saying it does. But I think we have to look at the failure rate of the romantic view of marriage, because everybody assumes that friendship and romance are two sides of the same coin. And they are the thing that will sustain your marriage. And and they absolutely aren't. There is nothing romantic about changing a baby's dirty diaper. And yet there's nothing a man can do, and I say this to my shame Mm -hmm. because I didn't do it very often at all, but there's nothing that's more, it produces friendship with his wife more and the child's mother than a a man changing a a dirty diaper. So I think we have to be very careful to pursue the things that God commands. Okay? And those things are what? Those things are lifelong commitment till death do us part. Those things are that the man loves his wife and that the woman submits to her husband and loves him, it's commanded, and that the two make fruitful love because God commanded that that union be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and what we're looking at today is an endless demographic nightmare across the, the developed world that is catastrophic. And every academic in demographics knows this is true. And so, as Christians, we do not set our sights on works of super mm-hmm. These wonderful visions and myths and vapors that everybody's pursuing. You know, you talked earlier about whether or not but rather, we, rather, what we want to do is we want to pursue marriage to someone of the opposite sex, check box, <laughs> okay? We want to pursue lifelong marriage with no option of divorce, check box. We want to pursue marriage with a woman who we could spend the rest of our lives with and be happy, check box. Then we start living. We have children, we make whoopee, we have children and the children poop in their diapers and need to be nursed, and we work hard so that our wife can give herself to that work and then introduce that child to the world. Hey, 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 this is what Scripture commands. These are the commands of Scripture. And guess what comes? Always what comes from obedience to God are unbelievable blessings. And one of the blessings is that now, you know, after being married 43 years, Oh my goodness. Every day I look at my wife and she's, she's drop dead gorgeous. Okay. But she's fun. Mm -hmm. And I just love the cheerful service she gives. She's constantly yesterday. She was up with our daughter-in-law. She gave birth to our newest grandchild, Isaiah, Isaiah, Nicholas, uh, Bailey. Okay. And she's, Been in the doula for like 80 women in our church. And there's nothing I love more than when my wife gets up in the middle of the night and goes and just massages and gives water to women as they go through this terrible suffering of childbearing. And then today she's over taking care of the little children for Hannah as she takes her special needs child uh, to have care. And she does this for the women of our church, for the children of our church. And she, when we went out to California for a wedding recently, we got out there and the bride's mother, who's our dearest friend and her husband, she, she'd ordered this dress from China and it didn't fit at all. And it was a complicated dress to do the alteration. So my wife cheerfully finds a sewing machine. Instead of them having to pay through the nose for a seamstress, she spent almost five hours altering this dress, having her try it on, altering it. And I look at my wife and, you know, I've told my wife, and this is true, I have told her from the time we were married, when she was making these beautiful, beautiful Victorian lace and Muslim nightgowns for everybody, that there's nothing that I get more delight in than my wife's sewing. Now, does this sound like friendship? And yet, I haven't pursued her sewing, I haven't pursued her being a doula, I haven't pursued her desire for me to drive up every single country lane that has a no trespassing sign on it. Every single one she wants me to drive up, despite the no, so she can see what's at the end. Okay. <laughs> but this is the stuff of friendship. You see her being creative, you see her making jokes, you see her cutting flowers. And it's like, how could anybody have sex with a man hmm. and love another man when there are women to love? <laughs> and at this point in our life, we've tried to do the things scripture commands and the fruit it's bearing in the lives of our children, grandchildren, you know, 20, 26 or 27 grandchildren now, the happiness of our kids' marriages, their love for the Lord, my wife's fruitfulness continues to have. Now, is that friendship? Or another thing to ask is, is that romance? Hmm. And I think no matter how curious or incurious any particular couple are, no matter how simple or complicated the things that give them joy are, every single couple that gives themselves to marriage as God intended will have, will reap an unbelievable fruit of friendship and romance and love. And it only gets better as you get older. Wow. I know that sounds stupid, but it's not. I'm here to tell you it's true. Now, are you cynical about it, the two of you?
2: No, I'm not cynical about it at all. I was I'm not cynical. thinking through all of the... Just the same things that I see in my wife and what I love about her. And it is about. Well, yeah. Yeah, Well, you're talking about um, Mary Lee uh, uh, doing the alterations on this wedding dress. And I'm thinking about how Amanda stayed up just a couple weeks ago until like two or three in the morning uh, doing alterations on a suit for one of our pastor's college students for his uh graduation the next day and hmm. how much I love that's the that's the kind why? of thing why that I love get about it. Joy-
1: yeah, but why? What is that? Define it.
2: Oh I don't know. It's hard to I think you just see the 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 beauty of a meek and humble servant of God is something that is I don't know what to say about it. It's I I made a video once of Amanda, um, she stays up like Christmas Eve, she'll be up until four in the morning and she'll be doing, we were newly married, fairly newly married, for instance, I made this little video, it's Christmas Eve, I don't know what time it was, like two in the morning and we were dirt poor and she had gotten this used bike that uh, to give to our daughter and that she had found and she had stripped all of the peeling Barbie stuff off of it mm-hmm. and it was uh, decorating it with oh, little rhinestones goodness. and stuff, oh. and my daughter is the kind of girl oh, that yeah. the first thing we she would have done is pick them the all off, right? She's <laughs> so gonna pick them all off, and, and I, I just have this little video somewhere I don't know where of um, me just talking to her about it as she was doing it. You know, she's gonna, you know, she's gonna pick those off, right? She's like, yeah, I know that. So why are you bothering with this? She'll like it. She'll think it's fun, and I don't know sweet
1: you know it is interesting that if you think about women and i know i'm not supposed to make any generalizations and i'm not supposed to stereotype and be sexist and all that stuff but um there is something that is uniquely feminine about service and beauty Mm.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and it is it is just gorgeous And it's gorgeous in other women. You know, you see women who are meek and humble and just are unbelievably fruitful in their service. And man, it's such a beautiful thing. And uh, I know we were supposed to be talking about friendship, but friendship does come from us being who God made us to be. Hmm. And the fact is that we make jokes about how no woman can ever approve of any man. And no man can ever approve of any woman because woman isn't man, and man isn't woman. And so, we have to disapprove of each other because we approve of ourselves. And then Chesterton saying that, you know, they are two forces that are incompatible mm-hmm. and we have to keep, it will be a quarrel, but keep it a lover's quarrel. But the other side of it is because they are so different and the melding of them together the beauty is infinitely greater than the sum of the two parts mm-hmm.
2: but that's not something that you understand on the other side of it I don't know maybe if you grew up with it you do understand it more intuitively but I was just thinking about I certainly wouldn't understand the beauty of it without simply walking through it and living it with my wife and we were talking earlier about expectations uh, the idea that love and friendship and romance are what are going to gonna sustain your marriage that that kind of thing. And a lot of women go into marriage looking for a girlfriend and a lot of men go into marriage looking for a bro but with benefits. And I think it's deeply connected to the sexual Garbage of our day. And I, I don't know that I'm put, throwing anything out there that we're well, I was be able actually to pull back of together.
0: That. I was thinking on that as you were talking uh, just now. I was thinking of all the guys I know, especially newlyweds, will do this thing that just drives me nuts where the guy is very pleased, it's just a very small thing, I guess, but the guy is very pleased because the woman likes to watch his kinds of movies. She likes to watch kung fu movies and horror movies and action movies and stuff like this. It's been, it's, it's, it's mystifying to me. Because one of the things that I find attractive about Meredith is the fact simply that she's different, that she's not me. I don't want her to want to watch my guy movies. Because to do that is to take away something that's sweet about her as woman. Jake and Amanda are interesting because Amanda actually does love sports and I don't actually think it's just a no, she loves, function of submission. She I loves think she sports more than likes I likes just reality more than Jake. Yep. Um but so I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of exceptions to the rule, but why would you want a best friend? Like in the sense of a guy best friend, like why would you actually want a, a bro to hang out with? That's not what's interesting about a woman.
1: I'm convinced that what creates friendship and marriage is the man pursuing his manhood and the woman pursuing her womanhood. Mm-hmm. The man pursuing his masculinity, the woman, her femininity. But we live in a perverse day when we think that we're really progressive and evolved. When we don't take seriously our manhood, our masculinity and femininity. And so men will brag about how much he's into chick flicks, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's, 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 it's bragging about his virtue. You know, it's a virtue to go against uh, cultural norms of masculinity and femininity. Now mm-hmm. you can say what you want against cultural norms, but generally those norms are correct. It should be men who are fighting in protection of the women and children, okay? It shouldn't be women. Women have already fought by having their bodies split apart by giving birth to a child. They've already shed their blood. It's time for the man to man up and shed his. Now, having said that, I do think it's important for a man to enter into a woman's world and for a woman to enter into a man's world. In other words, part of friendship is having the ability to understand how your husband thinks and how your wife Mm. thinks. And what kind of friend always brings to a friendship what he thinks? Now, he should be capable of seeing the weaknesses but also the strengths of his friend and improving them. When he's having an argument with his friend, a friend will improve his friend's argument against him. He'll say, no, I think what you should say to me at this point is such and such. Mm-hmm. And that's a critical aspect of marriage. And so I have told some brain dead men who would like to be married to read George Eliot's Middlemarch. It, it's it's a book that will drive you wacko because it's so detailed in describing the conversations and thought patterns and and values of women. Mm. And and I think it's important that if our wife and all our daughters like Anne of Green Gables, that we watch it. Now, I'm not saying that we have to like that like that mouthy little uh brat. Yeah. Yeah. Although she is kind of funny and cute, you know, but there is something about entering into what women like that is very helpful for us cultivating our friendship with our wives and with our daughters, and helping us to have to live with them in an understanding way. I like your talking about women shouldn't have to watch action flicks, and I'm not saying that men have to watch chick flicks. Okay, mm, that's I mean, not my yeah, point. I,
0: I like chick flicks, the the good ones.
1: There should Stop <laughs> virtue signaling. Yeah, stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there should be there should be work involved in trying to understand how our wives think, and how our daughters think for us as men. And their mothers and their sisters should try to understand why it is that we don't tell a little girl to stop crying when she gets hurt, but we tell a little boy why to stop crying. And by the way, I'm not against crying, but there are times you should tell your son to stop crying because he's going to live in a world of men. Mm. And he better learn that men will torment a man who is a sissy. And so he better not be a sissy because, and you know, I know women listening, yeah, oh, that's bullying and that's the kind of thing that biblical men, it's toxic masculinity. It's like, okay, right. <laughs> I've raised sons. I am a man. My father raised me. I have no larger desire than to be like my dad. My dad wasn't a sissy. He wrote poetry and painted and wrote books, mm. okay? But the whole thing is, what I'm trying to say is that an awful lot of what cultivates beauty in a marriage and friendship in a marriage, is by men being free to cultivate their masculinity, women being free to cultivate their femininity, and both of them celebrating each other's masculinity and femininity.
0: Well, maybe this is stupid to say, but I think the reason I was circling around the whole movie thing was just, I think a lot of people go into it not realizing there's a big difference. They just uh, they just don't even think about the fact that uh, men and women are fundamentally different. So everything that you guys have been saying starts with the fact uh, we are fundamentally different. Now let's figure out how to live together and what what do I reserve for man and how do I condescend and all this kind of stuff. But to even get there, you have to start with the fact that-
2: Men and women are different. Men and
0: women are different. And I think that there Moving are- Moving towards androgyny is not a virtue. Yeah. And maybe that's not a shock to anybody that found this podcast, but it would have been a shock to the, the to the couples I'm thinking of that we're trying to watch these movies together. They weren't trying to be condescending to one another. And you understand I'm using the good use of condescending. They were simply just assuming we should be best friends because we're basically the same. Maybe, so we have to
2: maybe, figure out how to enjoy all the same things. Maybe we have the same, the same different body
0: parts and that's kind of fun. But basically, we're, we're just two people.
1: Look, the Bible says that God created Eve for Adam. Mm. He did not create Adam for Eve. The Bible also says that woman is the glory of man and man is the glory of God. The Bible says that we're supposed to virtue signal in worship by something we do with our heads as men and women. In other words, it's almost sacramental. It's one of those places where godliness is concrete, physical, and touchable. And the Bible goes on and on and on in making distinctions between men and women and telling us that those distinctions are God's gift to the human race. And even that race, God-named, Adam or man, okay? I don't mind the world deciding that it is going to eviscerate human society of the glorious diversity of man and woman. The world is stupid and worldlings commit incredibly stupid mistakes all the time. I don't particularly care if all the scientists are intent to protect a tiny little species of spider down in the Amazon rainforest and to, meanwhile, uh, sexually mutilate surgically mutilate their own children. So if their their child wants to be a girl and she was a boy, you know, that that they'll pay a surgeon to give her hormones and, and then to mutilate her body. I mean how how ridiculous. The diversity of sex is what we begin with as human beings in the womb from the moment of, of conception. And so you, you you'll fall all over yourself to protect the diversity in the rainforest and then obliterate the most fundamental diversity that God has made. I don't mind the world being stupid but that Christians think that they are more evolved and more progressive and more really holy, I mean, honestly, more virtuous when they try constantly to minimize the significance of manhood and womanhood in human life. It just creeps me no end. And when pastors do not preach of the glory of that diversity, when pastors run scared It's just my entire life, this drives me bonkers. And so I don't know what to do about it. I'm hoping maybe your work in Warhorn, sometimes I think it's good to make fun of it. It's so stupid. Sometimes it should be taken seriously. But yeah, the whole way that friendship and marriage only comes when we acknowledge the difference.
0: Let me take us back a little bit because I felt some tension on behalf of our our listeners, when when you you both were talking about check these boxes, she's a woman, you're a man, you're going to be committed. I hear people talk like that, and 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 having, Lord willing, being completely removed from the the dating scene and all that very soon. I felt the pain a lot though when I was looking for a woman. Of or not not the pain. That's it. That's to exaggerate it. But what I'm trying to get at is people would be very hey Nathan. Just find someone. Find just... someone and marry him. Yeah, yeah. Find someone, marry him. Is she a woman? Is she godly? Then do it. That's what they would say in an abstract mm-hmm. sense. But then they'd never say that in the particulars. You know, if I... Mm, they, they, right. they, they, they nobody actually wanted me to just eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Okay, you. You're a woman. You're godly. You know, as soon as I was interested in somebody, they'd, these, the very same people would. Well, oh, okay, is she smart? Is she, Do you think she's pretty? Is she this? Is that you think you'll get... A... that? That sort of... Big, broad statements never seem to exactly apply. Okay. Okay. Let me just sort of,
2: all right. Let me back up and explain part of my thinking and how I wanted and why I wanted to answer that question the way Mm -hmm. I did. There are so many people on the other side of marriage asking questions of what if, what if that, what if this, what if that. That is deadly. And that's, you cannot do that. Mm -hmm. And so if you have the most fundamental requirements for making it work, like what I was thinking, I was thinking about particular people and Absolutely. can they have hope of having any kind of companionship in this marriage where they're asking questions they should not be asking. We're not friends. Yeah, yeah. when they're asking that question, we're not friends, what do we do, Yeah, right? Shut up. And, and, yeah, the answer is shut up. Mm-hmm. You're married, It's the, your job is to obey God, to obey your vows, to to love and submit to your husband or to love and cherish your wife. And if you do those things, God will bless that and you will grow in companionship. Right. And so, those are the prerequisites. That's not the same thing as telling a, an unmarried man or an unmarried woman, find a Christian of the opposite sex and elope. Right. Right. So, it's not, it's not to say that you don't want to be sure that you actually are attracted to the person that you're going to marry in a sexual way, in a physical way. It's not to say that you shouldn't have things in common that you appreciate and respect and enjoy about each other. But it is to say that if you are married and if you give yourself to obedience to God's commands by faith, and if you love and honor one another, God will bless that and you can grow in companionship. And you you shouldn't be asking the question, oh no, we're not friends. Oh no, I don't feel the fires of romance or of friendship. What you should be asking is how do I obey God today? And if I can trust God and obey God, we can grow there is hope for us in our marriage and so it's maybe uh, i was processing it from a different angle than the way that you processed it but that's i think a yeah. large part of what was behind well and i knew
0: that jake i was just helping our listeners i, I figured you did well the I, other, it, I don't know what tim would say but well let me call you on one other thing that i think people probably will be offended by that you said you said water finds its level yeah uh, i did man that's depressing <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess I'm just condemned. What you're saying? I can't aspire to something better than me because I suck, dude. Like Um, uh, I'm just going to end up with someone (laughs) as bad as I am.
2: Oh, I don't know how to answer you there. Because the reality is, I said water finds its level and I I think I married above me. And I think that most people in happy marriages feel that way. But I also think that there's a reason you're attracted to the kind of person that you're attracted to and that works in good ways and it works in bad ways and so you see this when you when you see a couple where you know the history maybe of one of one of the people sexual brokenness or a background you know that's bad and you see that those people broken people tend to find broken people
1: and that can be really bad and child molesters Tend to find a wife who was molested as a child. That's right.
0: Well, and you watch two gay guys that you know walk into a church service, or or you know someone who's gay at, at church, and you know a, uh, there's a visitor. Somehow, it's like magnets. By the but by by the, after, the, the, after the service, they will be talking, will to, be each talking to each other out. Each in a it's, it's just a human right. thing. It's not just a marriage thing. People are strangely
1: right. Listen, just, as Christians, we should be able to acknowledge the truth, having faith that God is big enough for the truth. And what Jake said is absolutely true in marriage and in courtship and dating, and it is that water finds its level. Furthermore, past generations understood that if this level of water thinks that its real level is a couple stories up, Mm. it is the requirement and the duty of everyone that knows this man to tell him that's not actually your level. That's the plot of an awful lot of, of novels is the fact that you need to be very careful to not marry a slave to your master's daughter. Now, I know that there are exceptions that prove the rule, but the more things you have going for a marriage, the better. And so, if you have an incurious man, it's best he be married to an incurious woman because a curious woman who has intellectual life married To a man with no intellectual life, no desire to read, no desire to take walks, no desire to do anything other than pop his blackheads and burp, that's not a good marriage. Hmm. And so, generally, successful marriages do find people at similar places of education, at similar interests in in terms of hobbies, with similar vocabularies, with similar parents, with similar socioeconomic status, similar race... Similar geographical origins, similar language, and we begin to add those things up, and it will have a lot to do with the success of the marriage. It's what is the whole point behind arranged marriages. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They're trying to make sure that water finds its level. And some people, God has blessed them with a very simple thought like, and Some people, God has cursed with a very active thought life. As a matter of fact, I would say that you and magnificent Meredith, uh, there's at least as much negative as positive about the activity level that your brains work.
0: I can't confirm.
1: Okay. I can't confirm. And so, let's defend Jake. He actually was saying a truth that everybody knows and everybody thinks they should deny knowing. I wish Christians we had more trust in God's truth. And that's God's truth. Why did Abraham send his servant off to a distant place? Is not not marrying Canaanites on the part of the people of God making sure the water finds its level? Mm. (laughs) You know?
0: (laughs) I keep thinking of Jane Austen and Pride and Prejudice and one of my favorite bad marriages from literature is the Bennets and Mr. Bennet's a very intelligent man and he married a very silly woman and there's a little there's just a wonderful paragraph in there <laughs> yeah. where it says something like he had married her because she was vivacious and charming
2: he mistook her vivacity and charming for as, intelligence for that's, intelligence that's what it was yeah yeah but yeah.
0: It, really she was just in the blush of. and youth. then it has this wonderful phrase the blush of youth had gone and all his plans for happiness were overthrown <laughs> <laughs> or no, all his plans for domestic felicity were overthrown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but
1: listen, God often gives you through your children what you lack through your wife. Hmm. And God will bless a man like that and give him a daughter that is every bit as intelligent and discerning and godly as he had hoped his wife would be. And not there's no sequitur here, but I want to say one other thing about this issue of friendship. Mm-hmm. Do you know one of the sweetest things about friendship and marriage is how you will recognize in your children the very things that give you drop-dead delight in your wife? I mean, you see your wife reproduced in your children, and it's like the multiplication of friendship. The multiplication of, uh, I know that people are going to listen to this, and they're going to think, well, he's a romantic and a sentimentalist, and he's like, yes, yes. And I guess maybe, you know, they say that that a Republican is a Democrat who got mugged. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be that a Romantic is a cynic who who God poured good gifts out on, mm. despite not deserving them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't believe the things that God gives us that we don't deserve and are unbelievably delightful, you know? I mean, people listening to this, I don't want to discourage them if they're suffering in their marriages, but have children and see if God doesn't provide the thing that you wanted, and don't <laughs> don't don't take some of the things that are never appropriate from your children that you should only take from your wife or husband, but nevertheless, you know look at your children, look at how discerning and discriminating your daughter is, even though your wife might be a bit of a ditspring. <laughs> or look at the manliness of your son when you're married to an effeminate m- husband. <laughs> well, the
0: funny thing is that there's going to be people listening to this or who are going to resent you for being happy. And well, what does he know about my oh. problems? It's like, you want to invite you're drowning you want to, you want him to drown too or wouldn't you rather he stand on the shore and throw you a
1: i know that I know that but let let, let me tell you a little story at the church I had before this church, so we're going back to ninety two mm-hmm. it was filled with uh, uh very uh, people who were conceited about their sophistication particularly educationally and so when I would teach the beauty of manhood and womanhood all hell would break loose Mm -hmm. in that church. If I taught about submission and marriage, all hell would break out in that church. The elders, everybody would just gnash their teeth that I was being so culturally inappropriate. Didn't I know that I wasn't going to get anybody as undergrad students from Indiana University if I was preaching these gnarly aspects of God's truth Mm -hmm. on and on and on? And so this was a relentless attack that I suffered at that church. There was a young woman in that church who was angular emotionally, prickly, very hard to be around her. And of course, as is often the case with such adults, men and women, in her case, she'd been abused as a child. And so she was just opposed to the fact that I would call people to marriage and to having children and to uh, the normal situations of life that God has blessed us with. And so, of course, she was part of the the, the, the large uh, minority in that church that were hostile to me. But meanwhile, I would sit in church with my family, not up on the platform, but with my family, and I would have my daughters in my lap. And do you know that that woman one day came to my wife and she said, basically, she said, I, I, I would love to hate your husband because of the pain he causes me. And of course, that pain is that she did not have the blessings that God had given to us. And so really that pain was jealousy. You know, jealousy never admits it exists. It Mm -hmm. just always manifests itself as victimhood and pain. And she said, I would love to hate your husband and he does cause me pain. But she said, when I look at your daughter sitting in his lap and loving him and obviously completely safe and at peace with her daddy, she said, I realize that I'm wrong about it. And so that's a, a, an insidious part of what you're just saying that people are going to listen to this and, and, and resent it. And I say, and I say, look, unless we talk about the blessings that God gives men and women who don't deserve those. I started out the, these episodes by talking about Mary Lee being pregnant mm-hmm. because of my sin. God gives good gifts to those who don't deserve them. And Christian faith is trusting God and living in hope. There is nothing godly about living in cynicism and irony. It's awful, and it is a denial of Christian faith. And so, no, I am not going to have you, me, or Jake hide the unbelievable joy of life that God has given us. We all have suffered, but we live in hope, and that is essential. And we must not allow others to squelch it and make us feel guilty for the specific hopes that God has fulfilled in our lives.
0: Then comes what was produced by Nathan Alberson and executive produced by Jacob Menzel and Nathan Alberson. As our All-Fine Warhorn products, you can send your questions for us to TCW at warhornmedia.com that's T as in tango C as in charlie W as in whiskey at warhornmedia.com